Come on, put your hands together in praise. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The presence of the Lord has flooded this sanctuary in a very special way. And our hope and prayer is that that is exactly what's happening in your home right now, in that place where you find yourself right now, that you can feel the glory of the Lord, the presence of the Lord surrounding you in such a special way. Praise God. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy, holy name. Praise the Lord. You may be seated in your place right there in your home and those that are here God is so amazing. I want to thank you, first of all, for joining us today, to separating this time uh, to watch our, our stream and, and to be able to join us in this time of worship. And I thank God for technology that allows us to do this very thing. And although it is different than what we've been used to, nonetheless, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the blessings of the Lord as well. So what we're feeling right now and what you're sensing there on the other end of this lens of this camera is really the presence of the Lord. That's the way God is. He just blesses. He can be in multiple places at the same time. And I want to tell you, church, that I've been mulling through and working through how to continue to have you be encouraged during this time of crises, during this time as we navigate through this health crisis and this virus and and sometimes the overwhelming flood of just bad news that keeps coming along. You know, because it isn't a few days. I realize it's, uh, it's weeks. It's uh, more than a month already. And, and when we ask questions and we try to inquire as to how long or when, you know, one of our questions comes back to us with five more questions. And it, it seems like, um, you know, we're anticipating a change. We're anticipating this war to be over. But sadly, we keep coming back to the same place. And it, what it does, it chips away at our confidence and it chips away at our stability. And so I've been mulling through and praying through and seeking, Lord, how can I not only bless this precious congregation that I'm responsible for, but myself and the leadership team that we have. And, and, and church, you know, it really isn't through the news, obviously, my advice to you, and I try to take it as well, is listen to no more than 10 minutes of news, 15 minutes of news, because after a while, it just keeps getting you down. So obviously, the, the, the uh, media can't help us, and the powers that be can't help us. When we look for leadership here, there, and everywhere, sometimes that also can become so overwhelming and draining as well. And, you know, I hate to be old-fashioned with you, but I'm going to be. It really is in your relationship with God. Faith is strengthened through our journey through Scripture. Our faith is strengthened through our time that we spend before the Lord. And that's not the amount of time so much, but the quality of time that we spend on spiritual disciplines. And I really feel led of the Lord to, uh, to share with you today from probably one of the most significant stories in Scripture other than Christ with regard to suffering. And that is a story that we find in the book of Job, a book that's so fascinating when you read it. I've read it. Often, I've read it again in preparation for uh, coming before you today. And it is amazing to me how this man, um, having so much, being blessed through every barometer that we use to measure success and blessing, and all of a sudden it seems like it's a divine experiment between Satan and God 
and he's caught in the middle. That's what it seems like. And then all of a sudden, from having so much possession, wonderful family, children that celebrated him, a wife that was with him, uh, having the riches, the untold during that time, having people recognize that he was a man of integrity, a leader among leaders, all of a sudden he loses all of that and finds himself now in desolation. And my question when I read Job and I study Job, how was he able to get through that? And I, I want to submit to you that as we explore that very question, how was he able to explore that? And then are there things that, and elements that he used to get through that we can apply to our lives? And that's what I want to get to today is how, do we, how can we apply the teachings of Job or some of them into our daily walk so that we can make it through? Because he had. He lost. And then it even got worse. In fact, I'm, I'm titling the sermon today from bad to worse. I mean, it was celebration when you read chapter 1. He had all these things. Chapter 2, where I want to focus in today, is it really went from this glorious, splendid moment of existence and success to a bad situation that slowly became worse. And chapter 2, I glean from there four things that I want to just share with you briefly today. And one is the following, and I'm only looking at chapter 4 now. He's lost everything, right? The first thing that I see coming out of it, and it's a teaching that it's a pill that's hard to swallow, but conflict and lack and trials and tribulation and sickness and turmoil and the presentation of the demonic forces around us and the workings of the devil, all of those negative things that happen in our journey in life reveal our character. We don't really know who we really are or what we're really made out of until we go through the fire. I know that's a tough pill to swallow. We would rather have it some other way. In fact, I've prayed that to the Lord. Lord, is there another way? Teach me a lesson another way. Show me another series of books that I can read. But no, sometimes the vicissitudes and trials of life actually show what we're made of. That rises to the surface. Our maturity, our character. Certainly it was the case with Job in chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. As you read it, there was this conversation between Satan and God and this plan that was conjured up really from the, from, it was from the enemy. And the plan was not just an experiment, as I mentioned early on, although it might look that way. Uh, God, the Father, the Creator says, go ahead, but just don't touch him internally. Don't touch his spirit, his soul. Don't touch him, but take away everything else. The plan of the enemy in this juncture was not to merely attack Job. That is never, the, that is the surface plan. That's what the enemy would want you to believe. The plan of the enemy was to totally destroy Job and any, any likeness of him to the point that it was the plan of Satan that Job would not only renege his faith with God, but actually curse God and be destroyed completely. The enemy wants, wanted to ruin him and wanted to destroy him. And by the way, church, the plan of the enemy has not changed even today. As we're navigating sickness, as we're navigating being separated from from our loved ones, as we're navigating, not knowing when this will end. Please don't think that the enemy is out to just merely inconvenience us. His plan is destruction, total ruin. That is what was his plan, and that is what is his plan. 
You've heard me teach so often that God is immutable. God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But let me open another page in that presentation of it being immutable. Satan is also immutable. He was a thief then. He's a thief now. And he's a thief tomorrow. He wanted to kill you then, wants to kill you today, and wants to kill you tomorrow. He has not changed in his plans. And don't think just because you're spending a few moments with me here in this service to strengthen your spirituality that the enemy is still not conjuring other things that would happen, other things that would come your way. His plan is truly to destroy and to kill completely. The enemy wants wants you to curse not only your relationship with God, but wants you to turn your back completely on the Lord. That's what the plan was in Job. That's one of the lessons that surfaces from his suffering. That Job's relationship with God was not tied into what he had and what he possessed. His relationship was deeper than that. That that is why he could lose everything and yet still be strong in the Lord. You need to hold on. You can't give up. And you say, Pastor, but you don't know every day. And look, we're going through the same thing. And sometimes the last few days I was feeling a little tension there. Every time the phone rang. Because it came from bad news to another bad news to another bad news. But that in no way changes my relationship with God and my resolve to serve him no matter what. So I understand. You go to the doctor and you thought it was going to be a better report. And it turns out a worse report. Or they declared you healed and all of a sudden you got a second round of the virus attacking your body. This is not the time for giving up. No, your character has to rise to the surface. Your integrity has to rise to the surface. The promises you made to the Lord have to rise to the surface during the trials and tribulations. And that is, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Remember the claims you made to the Lord way back when. Father, no matter what, I'm going to serve you. Well, we're in that no matter what moment. When it seems like everything is being stripped away. Everything is falling apart right before your eyes. And we can't even see how, how, how the future, we know there's going to be an end to this. We know there's going to be a future that we're going to be able to live. But we're trying to pinpoint the date and we can't find that date. This is not the time to give up. This is not the time to give the devil another victory. This is the time to crush him even further and let him know in all of his powers that I am following the Lord no matter what. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You need to showcase your devotion to the Lord. You need to make yourself worship. Force yourself to, you say, but I don't have a song. Find a song. I don't have a praise any longer. Find the praise. You can't just stay there. You have to resolve in your heart that no matter what I have or don't have, no matter what I am lost or am losing, I am going to follow after the Lord no matter what. When trouble comes, God is never far away. In this entire story that we find in Job, God never abandoned Job. Never. Never. Job may have felt moments when the Lord, where was the Lord? Remember later on in the book, he, he's seeking after the Lord. I can't, I, 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 can't, I can't hear you. I can't find you. And then finally, uh, Jehovah uh, shows up and is the God that, that sees, the God that's able to contemplate. Please don't think for a moment that God doesn't see your pain right now. Please don't think for a moment that he has encountered the tears that come out of your eyes. Please don't think for a moment that he is absent from your, your journey of suffering. He is there. Times of trouble expose our character. 
expose what we're really made of. And listen, you're made for greatness. You're made for prosperity and growth. You're made for ministry. God put that inside of you. And this momentary trial, and it is momentary, it will end. And when it ends, we're going to come out on the other side more powerful, more victorious than ever before. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Second thing that emerges for me that I want to share with you, there's so many, but I'm just going to enumerate a few that I feel appropriate for today. And that is sometimes, church, it's going to go from bad to worse. It says in the text, verses 7 through 8, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery. Listen to this. This is so graphic, this sentence. So graphic. But then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. That's pretty bad. I doubt if any of you have broken pottery and start scratching the surface of your skin because of the boils and sores that are there. Satan already had robbed Job of his family. Satan had already robbed Job of all of his possessions. Satan had already placed the man's position in the community in question. Because they were saying, why can this happen to such a righteous man? And on top of that now, he loses his health as well. And it's worse when you hear this language of he sat among the ashes. That is implying grammatically, literally implying that this is the end for Job. It wasn't merely that he was scraping his skin with the pottery but the writer here inspired says that he was sat among the ashes and the ashes was, is was left over, the unrecognizable elements that are left over after fire. And what it's connoting for us today that it was over. You know, it's one thing looking dead but knowing that you're not dead. It's one thing people saying it's over for sister so-and-so and over, over for brother so-and-so, but you're not over yet. The Lord is still working in your life. God is in the habit of even out of the ashes bringing up life. God is in the habit of even in destruction and desolation. God is in the habit of raising up, hallelujah, victorious and unto himself. Let the enemy be fooled. Let him be embarrassed as you hold on to the Lord. And you realize, yes, it's pretty bad and it's getting a little bit worse. But I'm not letting go. I'm holding on to my commitment to the Lord. Praise God, hallelujah. Satan had already robbed him of all the things that signaled to success, but did not rob him of his resolve to follow after the Lord. Satan had already taken away all of his cattle and all of his homes and even his children, but Satan could not rob this conviction that was deep inside of, of Job's heart that is in your heart as well, that is in my heart, that no matter what, come what may, I'm going to get up even limping, serving the Lord forevermore. Praise God forever completely sore from head to toe. It illustrated, it looked on the outside that God, that, that God had abandoned Job and that Satan had won. No, 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 no. The enemy might be bent on killing you, but God is bent on lifting you up out of the ashes. The enemy might be bent on making this the end of your story. And this is God telling you today that this is just a new beginning of a new narrative in your life. But remember that in all of this, church, we're in spiritual warfare. I know that I heard the, power, the seats of power declare that we're at war. 
and they're talking about governmental war, military war. But I'm here to tell you, church, that we're in spiritual, this is spiritual warfare. There are casualties that are potential casualties that can happen. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and spirits in the air. You know, you know it's true. It even feels gloomy. Even if you don't have an inkling of spirituality in your life. The days that we're living right now are depressing. Even when the sun shines, it's gloomy because there's powers in the air. There's demonic forces in the air. We are in the middle of spiritual warfare. And we need to wrestle with the armaments of spiritual warfare. You can't do church the way it was before. You cannot make a commitment. Some of you have been saying, I can't wait till this is over because I, I can't wait to be in church. Remember what you said. When this is over, remember what you said. Lord, help me get through because I'll be the first one parading my family to go to the altar. Remember what you said. This is spiritual warfare. And the commitments you make right now, you need to be aware that we're not going to emerge the same way as we came into this situation. We're going to be leaner and meaner. The devil's going to really be upset at us now. Hallelujah. Because we're going to march forward and we're going, that's the thing with our spiritual warfare. A new season for us. I choose to believe the Lord. I choose to follow the, the, the commandments and the, and the rules and the laws of engagement of our creator in this spiritual warfare, even if it gets worse. Job is interesting in another way, and I want to share with this moment of teaching to you. Every time I read Job, it just blows my mind. Just read the first two chapters, and you'll see what I'm going to say right now is absolutely true. It almost seems that the book of Job is a, is a place of questions. Questions, lots of questions going back and forth. Chapter one is questions. Have you seen my servant Job? You know, it starts, lots of questions. And here in, in chapter two, the questioning continues. And it's troubling questions. And, and before we cast a judgmental eye on Job and his wife, you know that it's true that when we go through pressing times, we ask troubling questions. Did your reputation but he kept the same wife. And the interesting thing about that is that oftentimes when a loved one is watching another loved one going through suffering, they'll say crazy things. They'll say things based on their emotion and on their sadness and grief. So let's not beat up on her so much because what she said was, hor was pretty horrible. But understand the context. He was sitting in ashes and she was sitting with, them, with him there as well. Metaphorically, she's there in his suffering and pain. She's there walking with him. So, of course, are you still going to be connected to this God who obviously has abandoned you? Sometimes we get the, the worst kind of counseling at the worst moment from the people that are closest to us. But just understand that his grief and sorrow was her grief and sorrow. Church, I need to just tell you right now, we know you're suffering. We know you're hurting. And, and the pastors are here with me today. You'll see them at the end of the service. We're going to close out with them praying with me. But we're hurting right along with you. Don't think for a moment that when you call us and we listen and we're there and we pray, but the weight of your burden becomes our burden. The weight of your pain becomes our pain. And yes, we want you to get better here. She says, just, you know, are you still maintaining your integrity? 
Are you still holding on to values that are not quantifiable? Because it wasn't quantifiable. His integrity did not produce money. It did because of his relationship and priority with God. But there was not a one-for-one, if you will. Are you still holding on to that? And then she makes a real graphic statement. She says, why don't you just curse God and die? And I said, let's not be judgmental to her because... Some of you might have said that, Lord, enough. I want to check out. Can't take it anymore. This burden is too heavy to bear. The wonderful thing that I contrast with statements like that is the greatness of God. Because in the middle of our foolish declarations like that, which many have said, the Lord still doesn't abandon us. He stays there listening to our foolishness. He stays by our side, hearing the counsel that comes that tells us, leave cursing. Just announce that you even were connected to him. He stays there. Why? Because love is that magnet that holds him close to us. His affection for us, affection for Job and for me. And you don't think that in that moment of crazy despair, when no one is around, you're locked up in your house and you want to get out and you want to feel better. Oh, you're in the hospital and you want to feel better. Don't think for a moment that in that moment of craziness, God has gotten so offended that he's walking out. He's sitting right there in the, in, in, next to you in the hospital bed waiting for you to calm down. He's not going to leave you nor forsake you. Why don't you just curse God and die? But look at his question that responds to her question. Her question was, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die? He replies, are you talking like a foolish woman? And here's the question. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And that's a a question that's confusing, and it's a, a question that sometimes might take a long time to unpack. And God is, one of the things that fascinates me is that Job is saying, wait a minute, am I going to accept the gifts of God without the troubling that comes from life? It almost seems like a contradiction because we know God is good and benevolent, Right? And he provides everything. So what is he saying here? That God is also giving him good? No, back away for a moment. Let's read and understand this book in the context. God allowed the enemy to come in. He was still aware of the level of, uh, of assault that was brought against Job. He was aware of it, never abandoning him. But God just observed what was going on and understood what was going on. The bad did not come from God. But bad happens. You know why bad things happen today? Yes, because Adam, the Adamic, um, what's called the Adamic sin, the first sin that was introduced to creation because of uh, 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 Adam's failure. But listen, stop picking on Adam so much because a lot of the bad that happens to us today is us, our bad decisions. We suffer the consequences of the crazy decisions that we make sometimes, the ill-informed decisions or or the reactive decisions, the knee-jerk decisions. Uh, we, we bring consequential things over our lives, and yet we attribute that failure to God. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? You know what else really moves me with regard to this? The guy that is saying this is the afflicted guy. Job, the afflicted one, is the one that's saying, we have to accept good and we have to accept trouble from God. The afflicted guy, the one that should be saying, I've had enough with the trouble. He even cursed the day that he was born, if you read the book. But he said, I know that my Redeemer, (laughs) 
My goodness, my Redeemer lives. From calamity, because there's one thing to sing when things are well. Come on, church. It's one thing to praise God when it's, but when you're in the fire and you can still say, Lord, no matter what, because it says in the text, it says, in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. This is a critical statement here. And I'm slowing down intention because we need to learn from this. It says that in all of this, all of his loss and all of the pressures from people around him and all of the questions that were being batted around, in all of this for Job, he did not sin in what he said. It does not say that he didn't think it. He just said he didn't say it. You can think about running. Don't say it. You can think about giving up. Don't say it. The things we think in our minds need to stay sometimes in our minds. And we want to run away from situations that we might think of quitting, but you don't. Might think of running, but you don't. Job, the guy that was afflicted. (laughs) He's saying good and trouble will come from God as gifts to us. Church, we need to understand nobody would want this health calamity to uh, wish it upon anybody, but it is here. This didn't catch God by surprise. God knows the beginning and the end of this affliction. The wife uh, of Job could not bear the affliction on innocent Job. She knew the kind of man he was, if anyone knew. So she reacted with that soul-barring question, are you still? And even the second question was even more stirring. Job did not sin in what he said. He might have thought it, but he didn't say what he thought. Let me close this out with the last Um, nugget that I want to share with you. The first one was your character is revealed. Second one was we go from bad to worse. The third is there's some troubling questions. And then the fourth is the gift of silence. Let me talk to you about the gift of silence because some of you have already said that, Lord, where are you? I don't hear you. I don't see you. That's also one of the themes of Job. Verses 11, 12, and 13 of chapter 2. He had these friends that were with him. And by the way, the friends also brought questions as well and the friends were good and sometimes not good for Job but nonetheless they were there and you know we all if we have really true and genuine friends sometimes friends tell tell us things we we don't want to hear but we don't discard them as friends because truth can be very painful and it says that the three friends look at look at what it says in verses 10 11 12 and 13 it says they met together by agreement to go they got together and they say we need to go see our friend Job There was agreement in moving forward to be able to minister. And and church, I'm here to tell you that that the rescue, the remedy, the solution happens when we are in agreement. When we agree with one another to sympathize with the pain of someone else and bring comfort to them. It says in the text that they saw him from a distance. They could hardly recognize him because he was disfigured. He didn't, you know, that's probably one of the worst things we can tell somebody when we haven't seen them or they've been sick. Or they've been away. You know, you, you, you don't look good. I, I submit to you that they probably know how they look. And oftentimes when we say things like that, it is hard. But it says that they saw him and they could not recognize him. And they began to weep out loud. And they tore their clothes and sprinkled with dust. That's a, a sense of repentance and, and consecration that we find in, in the Old Testament. The writings like that, repentance and consecration. And then here's the key. And they sat on the ground. Remember that he was in ashes? It says that they sat on the ground for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. 
So I guess, church, that there is a healing bomb. Pastina talked about the bomb of Gilead. There's, there's a, a healing virtue to keeping our mouth shut. There's a healing, a therapeutic side to these moments of silence. It says that they, they saw him. He was disfigured. They wept and cried. And they did this before they went and sat down with him because that's the other thing. They didn't want to cry in front of him. That would only add to his misery. They took time out. This wasn't a, a doctor's visit. They were there for seven days and seven nights. They didn't say a word, but they saw and experienced. That, so, so silence demands agreement to go, number one. Silence, number two, compels that we sympathize and bring comfort. Not agitate the situation, but that we sympathize and bring comfort. Sympathize, in other words, would be also compassion. Compassion means, in fact, there's a great definition, a metaphoric definition of compassion. That means to be in the situation, place yourself voluntarily in the situation of somebody else. Non-judgmentally. That's what they did. They sat with him for seven days. No one said a word. So silence compels that we sympathize and we comfort. Silence also requires and watch while someone else is suffering. Now, look, look church, I'm just as human as you, and particularly with love with people that you love, you don't want to see them suffering. You, you, you don't. But there's something about sitting with someone. Before Lazarus was resurrected, the Bible says that the Lord stood outside and at the stench of death. And oftentimes we have to sit with people when they're at the brink of their most difficult situation and not say anything but just trust. Not the doctors, but trust God that it's going to work out. Not be in a rush and watch the suffering. From bad to worse. So, so what's the advice today? Church, the advice to, for you today is, is this. And I've mentioned it several times. God is by your side. Fully aware of where you are today. Fully aware fully aware. God is not going anywhere. He's going to stay by your side. Stay by my side. God is with the church right now. Not just this church, but the church. Places are closed down. Church buildings are closed down. But God is still in control. Seated on his throne with all of his majesty. We might think right now that this virus has dominated all of the airwaves. No, no. God is in control. This is just a temporary thing. It really is. God is in control. And some of you and, and some of us might be trying to figure out well, what, what, this is all, what does this mean? There'll be time to unpack all of that. But no, please know that right there in your hospital room, right there in your home, God is there. Right there in the sadness at 3 o'clock in the morning, God is there. God is with you, not going to leave you. And we might also have to realize that even if things get worse, the end of the story ends victorious for us. Even if the news from the medical professionals is worse than what you were anticipating, the story ends in our favor. God is sovereign. God is powerful. And God will see us through for sure. From bad to worse. 
Father, I thank you for this precious moment that I have with my brothers and sisters. And my heart, Lord, right now is stirring. Lord, for the pain our people are going through. And Lord, I, I don't want to kill the joy of anyone, but Lord, we have to face the reality right now of the sadness that right now in that hospital room for the news that was just received, for that family, Lord, that is yearning to see their loved ones, for those, Lord, that have seen loved ones pass away and they were not able to see them in their last moments. Lord, that can never be relived. That's a mark that stays forever. So I pray, Lord, for your comfort, your strength. I lift up my hands and, and pray, Lord, to the camera and an extension to every home and every person. Heal our brokenness. Take away our despair. Take away our grief. Comfort, Lord. Let each of us be able to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you, are not, you have not left us. We are not abandoned. It might look like we lost everything, Lord. But that is not true because we have not lost you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Let us stand.